You know, I just want to say thank you again to all of you who were part of Vacation Bible School. Especially want to thank Stephanie as she walks out those back doors. Thank you, Stephanie, for all you did to put this on. Um, she is heading now down to the preschool area, um, but just appreciate her and her leadership. She was up here yesterday afternoon, kind of putting the building back together to make preparations for Sunday morning. Just a great week of EBS. Um, every child had an opportunity to hear the gospel. We had the opportunity to disciple and equip the young people that were here, and just a good week. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series, Miracles and Parables. And by way of review, last week, we looked at Jesus's heartache. If you recall, we looked at how um, we looked at Jesus's public ministry. We looked at the great compassion that Jesus had for his creation. And then we also looked at Jesus's commissioning of his disciples. And by way of review, C.H. Spurgeon, the great theologian and pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church of London, once said this about Matthew 9.38, one of our focal verses last week. He said of that verse, it weighed more on his heart than any other text in the Bible. In fact, he said it haunted him perpetually. It haunted him. Because in that verse, we read that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And as we looked at that, we looked at what Jesus' way of preparation for that is. And that is that we must pray for the Lord to raise up workers to go to the lost to reach reap the harvest. And as we looked at last week, I talked about how we were going to pray over the course of Vacation Bible School that the Lord would use us as leaders at Vacation Bible School to pray for the Lord to raise up future leaders of the church and, and future leaders that are going to go to every corner of this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only are we to pray for laborers, but we also must be ready for the Lord to call us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. One thing we know, whether you have a green thumb or a black thumb, our message point this morning is this, the harvest is time sensitive. The harvest is time sensitive. If it is not brought in at the right time, it will over ripen and spoil. The lost outside of the doors of this church, their salvation is time sensitive. Those we have contact with on a daily basis, they are not guaranteed tomorrow, are they? Those that we interact with on a daily and weekly basis are not guaranteed tomorrow. That is why it is of utmost importance for us to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. The destiny of the souls that we love and those outside of the doors of this church is of vital importance to Jesus, and it should equally be of vital importance to us. Jesus could only do so much alone. So what does Jesus do? He commissions his 12 to go. And as we will see later on in the gospel, he will, he will commission others to go as well. And ultimately, he will commission every single Christ follower, every single person that placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ throughout human history will also be commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 15 together. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. Matthew chapter 10. 
And this is what it says. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belt, no bag for your journey or tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer, deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. What does Jesus instruct his disciples to do? First, as we looked at last week, Jesus instructed his disciples to pray. And then notice what Jesus does. Jesus instructs them to pray for laborers, and then Jesus sends them out into the field to proclaim the good news of salvation. John MacArthur, in his commentary, he wrote these words. He said, vital as it is, prayer is not all that is required. The believer who prays for God to send workers but is unwilling to go himself prays insincerely and hypocritically. The Christian who genuinely prays for God to send witnesses is also willing to be a witness. You and I absolutely need to be prayer warriors. We need to pray for the Lord to raise up leaders within our church to go, but we also need to be willing to go ourselves. William Barclay in his commentary reports that when Martin Luther became convinced that the biblical way of salvation was by God's grace working through man's faith in his son, Jesus Christ, he began earnestly preaching and contending for the doctrine that became the hallmark of the Protestant Reformation. A friend of his was equally convinced of this truth. And the two men agreed that Luther would spend his time out in the world preaching, writing, and debating, while the friend would spend his time alone in a monastery upholding Luther and the cause of the Reformation in earnest prayer. As Luther visited the friend from time to time and reported the difficulties and obstacles of the work, the friend would intensify his praying. He would pray with greater intensity for Martin Luther and for the work that Martin Luther was doing. As, and, and one night, this friend had a dream in which he saw a gigantic field that stretched out over the whole earth. 
but only one lone figure was working in the field. And when he looked closer, the man saw that the lone figure was his dear friend, Luther. When he woke up, he immediately went to find Luther and tell him that God made clear to him through this dream that it was not enough for him to simply pray. He too must give himself directly to the work of spreading the good news of salvation. He did not forsake praying, but he set aside his pious solitude and began to labor beside Luther in the heat of the dirt and in the heat of the battle. It is not enough for us to just pray. Prayer is first. Yes, absolutely. We all must be prayer warriors, but we also must be willing once we pray and ask Lord to reveal to us his truth, we must be willing to act upon what God reveals us to do. We must go. This morning, we are going to see the ministry of Jesus take a drastic turn. Up until this point, what Jesus has been doing is he has been discipling and equipping his 12 disciples and the greater crowd that would also follow along. The Sermon on the Mount that we walked through for many weeks together that was a disciple-making sermon. It was an equipping sermon. And after Jesus preached that sermon, what did Jesus do? Jesus went out into the land across Galilee, and he demonstrated his authority over disease, over natural disasters, over demons and sin and salvation and death, just to name a few things. Now, after all this, Jesus is getting ready to commission his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Notice point number one this morning. It is this, Jesus commissions his disciples. In verse one, we read these words. In Matthew 10, 1, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Notice the call. Just like a military leader summons his soldiers and gives them their marching orders, that is exactly what Jesus is doing here. They have already completed basic training. They have learned all of the skills necessary to go to war. Now it's time for them to go into battle. And just like any great military leader, Jesus does not send his disciples to the field without first giving them proper instruction. Notice the first thing that Jesus does. Jesus gives them authority. We read again in verse 1, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority. He gave them authority to preach the word. He gave them authority over spirits, over disease, over affliction. He gives them authority to do the very things that he, he himself had been doing. He gives them authority to go into all the towns and all of the village to preach the gospel, to heal the disease, to cast out the demons, and to heal the afflicted. He gives them a, this authority and this power to do exactly what he was doing. And that is exactly what Jesus did the moment he called each and every one of us in this room to be his disciple. 
hearts. When he commissioned us to go, he did not send us into this world alone. No, he gave us the authority that he gave his disciples. He gave us the authority that he had as he went. And we read of this in several verses throughout God's word, but, but we read of this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we read, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promised us that he would give us the very authority that he had. We have this promise that Jesus is always with us. That's good news, folks. When we go out into this world to preach the good news of salvation amongst those that we come in contact with, we are not doing that alone. We have the Holy Spirit who is with us, who abides within us, and who gives us the authority. We read in John 14, 12 through 14, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus says right here, greater things, not in the sense that we are going to be able to do greater miracles than he did or greater or, 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 or teach and preach with greater authority than he had. But what Jesus is talking about here is that you and I today will have greater reach than he had when he walked this earth as he was clothed in his flesh. You and I have a great reach across this world. You know, at any given moment, you and I can get on an airplane and within 24 and probably at the most 48 hours, we could be anywhere in this world. You realize that? Anywhere in an instant, we could be there within 24 hours to 48 hours. We could be there preaching the good news of salvation. When Jesus walked the face of this earth, he was in Israel. His reach was Israel. His reach was the Galilee region for the most part of his earthly ministry. But Jesus says that you and I will have a greater reach than even he had. And we will have great authority when the Holy Spirit comes and abides within us. Matthew continues through our focal verses this morning, and he emphasizes the 12 disciples. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the 12 disciples, but I do want us to hit briefly on each of those disciples. As we were beginning this Matthew sermon series, if you remember, I I would often say that the 12 disciples were a band of misfits. And, And to a degree, they may have been a little rough around the edges, but make no mistakes, these were not misfits. These were men that the Lord Jesus Christ set apart to be his disciples, and he commissioned them and set them apart to go into all of the known world at that time to preach the good news of salvation. The first person that is listed as the disciples is Peter. Peter is listed first in all of the listings that we have of the disciples. Peter was a fisherman. 
along with his brother Andrew. In fact, they came from a line of fishermen. His birth name was Simon, but his given name by the Lord Jesus Christ was Peter. And you remember what Peter means, right? Peter means rock. He was impulsive. He was presumptuous. He was affectionate at times. He was a man of great faith. He was also a man that demonstrated great fear over the course of his, 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 um, um, Jesus's life as well. He failed Christ miserably the night that Jesus was turned over um, to be crucified. He denied Jesus three times. And if you recall, after he denied Jesus the third time and the rooster crowed, um, Peter left weeping. And he was broken because he had denied his closest friend. He had denied the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus will appear before Peter. And he will restore Peter not once, not twice, but three times. And after that third, third time, Jesus commissions Peter to go once again. And, and the thing that I love about Peter is Peter made many mistakes over the course of his lifetime. But when the Holy Spirit fell upon him, Peter was obedient to the Great Commission, and he went. If you recall, when the Holy Spirit fell on the 120 in the upper room, Peter that day went out into the streets and preached probably one of the greatest sermons ever preached. And on that day, 3,000 people placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This came from a man who had denied Jesus, who had rejected Jesus, and Jesus had restored. And God had given him the authority to do great and mighty things. And understand this, the very authority that, that Peter had is the very authority that you and I have to do the good works that we have been called to do as disciples of Jesus. The next person that is listed here, and the only two that we're really going to focus in on are, are Peter and Andrew and then we're going to hit the rest just briefly. But Andrew, I love Andrew. Andrew is described as the brother of Peter. Very little is known about Andrew, but what is spoken in Scripture about Andrew speaks volumes of the character that he had. In John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42, John records these words. We read, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. His first, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. You see what Andrew did right there? Andrew, the first thing that he did, he went and he found his brother Peter and brought Peter to Jesus. One of the greatest memories I have of living in um, our first house that Danny and I had um, as a married couple um, with Connor and Caitlin was we had a family that lived next to us, dear friends of ours. And one of Connor's buddies was a, a young man by the name of Luke. And I will never forget to this day that, that Connor brought his friend Luke 
to Jesus. And I remember that evening that Luke became a Christian. I remember, um, I don't remember how old Connor was, but he was probably, um, I don't know, around 10 or so. And I remember him, um, I was standing beside his bed and he was up on the top bunk of his bed. And I was kind of looking eye to eye with him. And I said, Connor, do you realize what you did? You did exactly what Andrew did whenever he brought his brother Peter to Jesus. When you introduced Luke to Jesus, you brought him into a relationship with the King of Kings. And I still remember that to the day, to this day. This church needs Andrews. This church needs people that are so committed to taking the gospel to the masses that we are willing to do whatever it takes to bring our brothers and our sisters and the lost to Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Andrew did. Then we see here there is James, the son of Zebedee. He was the older brother of John. James was the first person to be martyred or the first of the disciples to be martyred. Then there is John. He was one of Jesus's most close disciples. He was the beloved. He was one of his closest friends. John would go on to write the gospel of John and um, the subsequent three epistles. Philip persuaded and brought Bartholomew to Jesus. Bartholomew is mentioned in each of the lists of the gospel, but outside of that, we don't know a whole lot about him. And then there is Thomas. We know Thomas as Doubting Thomas. You remember um, after Jesus's resurrection, um, Jesus appeared to, to several of the disciples and they came back and re- they reported that they had seen Jesus, but Thomas doubted. And Thomas said, I will not believe until I place my fingers into Jesus's nail scarred hands. And then there was Matthew. Matthew, we looked at just a few weeks ago. Matthew was a tax collector. He would have been hated by most of the disciples and most of the Jews that were in Israel. He would not have been a well-liked man. But when Jesus called him to follow Follow after him. Do you remember exactly? Do you remember what Matthew did immediately after he became a disciple of Jesus? He threw a party in his home. And he invited Jesus and the rest of the disciples, and he also invited, invited his lost friends so that they could get in proximity of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I love Matthew. Then there is James, the son of Alphaeus. That's pretty much all we know about James. Thaddeus is mentioned in two of the four descriptive listings of the 12 disciples. Um, he, is, he is called Thaddeus in two of those, and the other two he is either called Jude or Judas. And then there is Simon the Zealot, not a whole lot that we know about Simon the Zealot. And the final disciple who is always listed last is Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus for a bag of coins. And after he betrayed Jesus, there was such guilt that, that overtook him. He went out and took his own life. That is a listing of the 12 disciples in a very, very um, limited um, scope. Notice the second point this morning. It is this. Jesus instructs his disciples. So before Jesus sends his disciples out into the world, he first gives them their marching orders. He first gives them um, a very descriptive plan. Notice the first thing that he, that he gives them. He gives them a warning. Notice the warning in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 10. It says this, These twelve Jesus sent out. 
instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. Why in the world did Jesus tell these disciples not to go um, to the Gentiles or to the Samaritans? Did they not need Jesus as well? Well, absolutely they needed Jesus, but here's the deal. Jesus' ministry on day one was to the Jews. And, and, and Jesus also wanted to make sure that the disciples um, had kind of a tunnel vision when it came to taking the gospel amongst the masses. He didn't want them on day one to go to all people. He wanted them to go to God's chosen people. Notice the next subpoint here is the people. Jesus says, but rather... But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It would not be until after the Jews rejected Jesus that Jesus would give them the instruction of going into all the world and preaching the gospel. But initially, and for this first season of the disciples' ministry, they were to focus on the Jews and the Jews alone. Notice the message that these men's men went with. And we read in verse seven and proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These men's message was the exact same message that Jesus himself preached when he began his earthly ministry. In Matthew four seventeen, we read, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message that Jesus preached some 2,000 years ago, the message that he sent his disciples ahead to preach with is the very message that you and I are to preach this day. We are to preach a message of repentance, and we are to preach a message pointing people to God the Father who dwells in heaven today. You know, this past week... um, on, on Thursday, um, I, I went on a little journey. I was going to go at lunchtime thinking that this would take about an hour to do, um, to take Connor. Connor, believe it or not, is about to turn 16. And I know that he's excited that I am saying this. But in just a matter of weeks, he is going to be 16. And so we have a car that he is going to drive. It's not the prettiest car, and he'll be the first one to tell you this. It's a 1995 Honda Accord that has 250,000 miles on it. Um, and the problem with this car is this. It's a 1995. And so when I was trying to get this thing inspected, um, you can't just take it to any place. Because it's a 1995, it's one year older than all of the new models. From 1996 on, there is one way that those cars are to be inspected, and there's another way that all these other ones are to be inspected. And so I went to probably a half a dozen places trying to find a place that can inspect I either got, no, we can't do that, or I got, our machine is broken. And so somehow I ended up in Princeton, Texas, getting this saying inspected. And as I was in the waiting room, there was one other man that was in the room with me. And I began to strike up a conversation with him. And as we began to talk, I asked him, I said, do you go to church anywhere? And he told me, he said, well, I go occasionally with my daughter. She goes to a church over in Plano. And I began to share the plan of salvation with him. And I asked him, first off, point blank, I said, do you know if you were to die today where you'd spend eternity? And he, and he kind of just 
mumbled a little bit with me. And then I asked him, I said, have you ever repented of your sins? And, and I said, have you ever placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? And to which time he kind of, he, he, he said yes, but I'm not sure if he had actually ever done that. And we continued to talk together. But the message, the plan of salvation that I shared with this man over at that shop in Princeton is the very message that Jesus commissioned his disciples to go into this world and preach. God's message never changes. It's always the same. We like to put little cool spins on it today within the modern church, don't we? But it's the same today, yesterday, and it will be the same tomorrow. There's one message that we are to preach, and that is that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, and it only comes through the repentance of one's sin and by placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Notice our next subpoint here. Notice the kind of authority that Jesus gives his disciples. In Matthew 10, 8, we read, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Jesus did not send his disciples out to the wolves unprepared or unequipped. He gave them authority to demonstrate the great power of Yahweh God over all of these different afflictions. Notice our mission as disciples of Jesus Christ. We are not to go to the well, are we? We are called to go to the sick. Jesus did not come to, to, to save those that were already well. He came to save the sick. The writer of the Christ Center Commentary wrote these words. First, Jesus says to go to the diseased. Our mission is not to the healthy, but to the sick. Second, we go to the dying. Jesus tells the disciples to raise the dead. Third, we go to the despised. In other words, Cleanse those who have leprosy, those who are unclean. Fourth, we go to the dirty. The disciples were commanded to engage the demon-possessed, the people most tainted by sin. In essence, Jesus told his disciples to go to the people that the world ignored or oppressed. The result of such action is that we will grow in faith. For as we go to the needy, we will learn to trust the Lord's provisions. And as they go, notice what Jesus commands his disciples to do. He commands them to practice restraint. If the disciples wanted to, they could have easily capitalized off of their authority that they were given by the Lord Jesus Christ. They could have become very, very rich people. I mean, just imagine if they went to every town and to every village with the authority that the Lord had given them. Imagine what would have happened if they would have healed the, the sick, raised the dead, exercised the demons and did that seeking some kind of compensation for what they did. Jesus cautions his disciples to practice restraint. I think that today's religious leaders, pastors, evangelists, worship artists, Christian authors should heed these wise words of Jesus. In verses 8b through 10, we read, you recede without paying, give without pay, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belt, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. You know, I wish I could do what I do for free, but I can't. 
I wish I could, but I can't. Like you, I have a mortgage. Like many of you, I have a car payment. I have kids in school. I have to put food on my, my kids' table, clothes on their back. I wish I could do what I do for free. As much as I would like to, I can't. But what I can assure you of is that your staff here at Friendship Baptist Church is not getting rich doing what we do. Okay, I can assure you of that right now. Many people, though, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus' ministry, are doing that very thing. Jesus warned his disciples against that, and he warns us equally against that as well. Within the Christ Center commentary, we also read this. As they reach out to the needy, the disciples will find that Jesus is sufficient for all their needs. In other words, when they go to great need, he will meet their needs along the way. And if Jesus promises the disciples that, we can be promised of that as well, that he will meet our needs. Part of practicing restraint, notice this, is being content. Notice the contentment that the disciples are to have. In verses 11 through 13, we read, and whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it. Stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. Within every city, in every community that you and I go with the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are going to be some within those cities that will accept us, and there are going to be some within those cities that will reject us. Many will embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, but many, many, many more will not embrace the gospel. What we can be promised of is this, that those that embrace the gospel, those that receive the gospel will receive a blessing and they will receive a peace that passes all understanding. In Philippians 4, 7, we read this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Some will embrace the gospel, but many will reject the gospel. We read in verses 13 through 15. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. You know, last week I shared with you that today's population is about 7.5 billion people. It is estimated that um, 2.5 billion people are evangelical Christians. Now, as I said last week, and I'm still going to stand, stand true to this this week, I believe 2.5 billion is a very liberal number. But let's just say that that is the case, that there are 2.5 billion people that live on planet Earth today that are evangelical Christians. That leaves 5 billion people that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There are many, many, many more people people in this world that hate us as evangelical Christians than there are that love us. Would you agree with that? I mean, think about it. There are people that in this world today that despise us for being Christians. 
Here's what we have. We have this promise from Jesus. And we're going to look at this next week, but I do want to read it to you this week. In Matthew 10, 22 through 23, Jesus said, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, Flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Jesus did not say that you and I might be hated. He didn't say it was possible that we would be hated. Jesus said we would be hated for his name's sake. Next week we'll talk more about this. But what we know is that Jesus promised us that we would experience trouble in this world. We will be hated. It is very likely that we might experience persecution. There are some in this world today on a daily basis that that face death because they're evangelical Christians. And there are some on a daily basis that are in prison for being Christians. Folks, regardless of what we might face outside of the doors of this church, we can be certain of this, that there is no more of a rewarding life than this life as a believer. Because Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life. It may not be an easy life. It may not be a rosy life. It may not be a perfect life. It may not be a life without heartache, but we can be assured of this, that as believers in Jesus Christ, there is no better life because we do not live for this world. We live for the world that is to come. There is a better world that awaits us. One day, every single one of us in this room will take our final breath on this side of eternity. And as believers in Jesus Christ, when we, when we awake on the other side of eternity, we shall be in the very presence of Jesus and we shall dwell there for all of eternity. But for those that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have this promise in God's word that they will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Hell is a real place. It is a literal place. Those that choose not to believe in Jesus will be um, sentenced to an eternity there. That is a promise that we have in God's word. There are people outside of the doors of this church, yes, in this Bible belt that we call Collin County, that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You and I have been commanded to go to them and to share with them the good news of salvation. Who this week, our our message, our our takeaway this morning, I want to ask you this question. We have been commissioned to go. Absolutely. Who are you going to go this week to share the gospel with? It may be that you're sitting in um, a room like I was waiting to get my car inspected where I shared with somebody. You may be getting your oil changed this week. You may be at the grocery store. You may be at the gym working out. Who are you going to take the gospel to this week? Let's be obedient to the Great Commission and let's go locally nationally and internationally with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a lost and dying world out there that are in desperate need of Jesus. Let's be obedient as Christ's ambassadors and as his disciples to go. Let's stand together. And as we stand, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. You may be here this morning. 
And if you were to die today, you do not know where you would spend eternity. You have no clue where that would be. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to repent of your sins and to cry out to Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. You may be here this morning and you've been visiting this church a while and the Lord is leading you to become a part of Friendship Baptist Church. We'd love for you to come this morning to be a part of this great church. You may need to this morning where you're at. You may need to come to this altar and you may need to just with on bended knee with a bowed head pray and ask God to reveal to you who you need to take the gospel to. As we continue to walk through the book of Matthew together. What we're going to look at week in and week out is Jesus commissioning his disciples to go. We have been commissioned to go. Let's be obedient as Christ's ambassadors to go. Ask the Lord to reveal to you who you need to share with this week as I myself will be asking the Lord to reveal to me. Let's bow our head and let's pray together. Father God, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship you. Father, I thank you for every man, every woman, every student, and every child that is in this room. Father, for those that are here that have surrendered their lives over to you already, they repented of their sins and they cried out to you to be the Lord and Savior of their lives. Lord, I pray as I pray for myself that you reveal to us this week who we are to go to and share the good news of salvation with. Father, for those in this room that may not yet have received you, They have yet to repent of their sins and they haven't cried out to you to be their Lord and Savior and they've not committed to following you. That today, Lord Jesus, this morning that they will do that. This morning they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make. Father God, I just ask that you move now during this time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.